All will be explained. All will be explained. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. So glad to have you on the show today. We've got some huge news and a great show. A lot of stuff to cover. Oh, Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Father Godfrey Mullen, who's a monk at St. Meinrad Arch Abbey, and is also the, the rector of the cathedral in Evansville, Indiana. Uh, and he came into town, into uh, Oklahoma, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, last week uh, to talk at St. Anne's about getting the most out of Mass. And so when he was here last week, had the opportunity to sit down with him. We recorded an interview that we're going to play for you in the second and third segments. Uh, but before we get there, what was what was that intro about? What were, what were you doing there? Well, I'll let you know. Uh, I am welcoming my old Kentucky home. For those of you who have been with me for uh, the duration of this show, uh, I want to let you know that you have competition now. We have expanded our reach and now outside the walls is not only on St. Michael's in Broken Arrow and Tulsa, Oklahoma, but we also now have a listening audience in Lexington, Kentucky on Real Life Radio. We're so glad to welcome our new listeners, uh, but that means all of my people in my new Oklahoma home, as opposed to my old Kentucky home, uh, that now you've got competition in our conversations on social media. You are not the only ones who are going to be talking to me on Facebook at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Nor are you the only ones who are going to be talking to me on Twitter where our handle is at outside the walls, nor are you even the only people who are going to be emailing me at outside the walls at timothyputnam.com outside the walls at timothyputnam.com. No, now you have competition. Uh, we've got a whole new crop of listeners out in Kentucky. And I played at the very beginning, my old Kentucky home, because I don't know if you know this or not, but I was born in Lexington, Kentucky, at Good Samaritan Hospital, when my dad was at Asbury Theological Seminary. Now, for those of you in Kentucky, you know precisely what I'm talking about, because it's right down the road from you. And our own venerable Mike Allen, uh, who's a staple on Real Life Radio, uh, was also a graduate of Asbury Seminary. Of course, I spent some time there myself, uh, not only when I was a newborn, but went back uh, when I was of the, the appropriate age for seminary. Uh, for those of you in my Oklahoma listening audience, uh, it is not a, uh, a Catholic seminary. My mother is not a chalice chipper. They were married before they went to seminary. Uh, and so uh, I am a product of Kentucky, so to speak, right? Uh, love it there. I spent uh, a number of years there uh, over the course of my life and... Um, I'd like to welcome you all. I'm so glad to be on Real Life Radio and on St. Michael Catholic Radio. My, my goal, I think, is to be on the radio in every town I've ever lived in. Uh, so that's now that's my new bucket list. I'm, I'm shooting for that now. Uh, and so be on the lookout. We might get a pretty big audience over time. Well, for those of you who are brand new, uh, we're going to do the Monday readings coming up for Monday... Uh, the 16th, and then we'll do that every week. Uh, we're going to do readings from the week from the, the Missal, and then we're also going to do a reading from church history, uh, generally out of the breviary for that week, out of the Office of Readings. And then we spend just a little bit of time going over some topic uh, that our faith will impact 
the way we live in the community around us. Because we are a people of mission that go outside the walls, but we're also a people who are connected to our history, right? Uh, Just like St. Paul outside the walls, that beautiful church in Rome that has all of the the popes and mosaic around the top corners uh, surrounding the church. Because we're a, a people who not only are connected to mission, but we're a people who are connected to our past. So as always, let's open up our time together today in prayer. Glory to God the Father who has promised through his Son to grant what is asked by those who pray together. With confidence in this promise, let us pray. Lord, look with favor on your people. Lord, you gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai and brought it to perfection in your anointed one. May all recognize the law written in their hearts and keep it faithfully as a covenant. Give those in authority a true concern for their brothers and sisters entrusted to their care and inspire the hearts of the people to support their leaders. Strengthen with your spirit the minds and hearts of missionaries and raise up a great company to help them from every nation. Give your grace to children that they may grow in your favor and to young people, that they may reach their full stature by loving you and keeping your commandments. Remember our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in your peace, and bring them at last to eternal life. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, Creator, You give the world new life by Your sacraments. May we, Your Church, grow in Your life and continue to receive Your help on earth. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, Your Son, who lives and reigns with You and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Today's first reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, where we read this. Thus says the Lord, Lo, I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The things of the past shall not be remembered or come to mind. Instead, there shall always be rejoicing and happiness in what I create. For I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and exult in my people. No longer shall the sound of weeping be heard there, or the sound of crying. No longer shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not round out his full lifetime. He dies a mere youth who reaches a hundred years, and he who falls of a hundred shall be thought accursed. They shall live in the houses they build, and shall eat fruit of the vineyards they plant. That reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65. Today's responsorial psalm is from Psalm 30. I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. I will extol you, O Lord, for you drew me clear and did not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, you brought me up from the netherworld. You preserved me from among those going down into the pit. 
I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. Sing praise to the Lord, you his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger lasts but a moment, a lifetime his goodwill. At nightfall weeping enters in, but with the dawn rejoicing. I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. Hear, O Lord, and have pity on me. O Lord, be my helper. You changed my mourning into dancing. O Lord, my God, forever I will give you thanks. I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. Today's Gospel comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. At that time, Jesus left Samaria for Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his native place. When he came into Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, since they had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves had gone to the feast. Then he returned to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Now there was a royal official whose son was ill in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son who was near death. Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, You may go. Your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and left. While the man was on his way back, his slaves met him and told him that his boy would live. He asked them when he began to recover They told him the fever left him yesterday about one in the afternoon. The father realized that just at that time Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he and his whole household came to believe. Now this was the second sign Jesus did when he came to Galilee from Judea. That gospel is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Our reading from church history today comes from the treatise on flight from the world. By St. Ambrose. Where a man's heart is, there is his treasure also. God is not accustomed to refusing a good gift to those who ask for one. Since he is good, and especially to those who are faithful to him, let us hold fast to him with all our soul, our heart, our strength, and so enjoy his light, and see his glory, and possess the grace of supernatural joy. Let us reach out with our hearts to possess that good. Let us exist in it and live in it. Let us hold fast to it, that good which is beyond all we can know or see, and is marked by perpetual peace and tranquility, a peace which is beyond all we can know or understand. This is the good that permeates creation. In it we all live, on it we all depend. It has nothing above it. It is divine. No one is good but God alone. What is good is therefore divine. What is divine is therefore good. Scripture says, When you open your hand, all things will be filled with goodness. It is through God's goodness that all that is truly good is given us, and in it there is no admixture of evil. Those good things are promised by Scripture to those who are faithful. The good things of the land will be your food. We have died with Christ, 
we carry about in our bodies the sign of his death, so that the living Christ may also be revealed in us. The life we live is now not our ordinary life, but the life of Christ, a life of sinlessness, of chastity, of simplicity, and every other virtue. We have risen with Christ. Let us live in Christ. Let us ascend in Christ, so that the serpent may not have the power here below to wound us in the heel. Let us take refuge from this world. You can do this in spirit, even if you are kept here in the body. You can at the same time be here and present to the Lord. Your soul must hold fast to Him. You must follow after Him in your thoughts. You must tread His ways by faith, not in outward show. You must take refuge in Him. He is your refuge and your strength. David addresses Him in these words, I fled to you for refuge, and I was not disappointed. Since God is our refuge, God who is in heaven and above the heavens, we must take refuge from this world in that place where there is peace, where there is rest from toil, where we can celebrate the great Sabbath, as Moses said, the Sabbaths of the land will provide you with food. To rest in the Lord and to see His joy is like a banquet and full of gladness and tranquility. Let us take refuge like deer beside the fountain of waters. Let our soul thirst as David thirsted for the fountain. What is that fountain? Listen to David. With you is the fountain of life. Let my soul say to this fountain, When shall I come and see you face to face? For the fountain is God himself. That reading comes from St. Ambrose from a treatise on flight from the world. It's a difficult task to balance being in mission and yet being a people who spend time alone with God. But even in the Gospels, we see that uh, Jesus balanced healing the sick and going away to a solitary place to be with his Father. And we must do the same. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Father Godfrey Mullen from Evansville, Indiana. He's a monk from uh, the St. Minerid Arch Abbey. Looking forward to it. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Stick around. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Glad you stuck with us through the break. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Father Godfrey Mullen, who's a Benedictine monk with the St. Minerid Arch Abbey. He's also currently serving as the rector for the cathedral in Evansville, Indiana, and was in town this earlier this last week uh, for a parish mission at St. Anne's. And as I was looking through the readings for today and what we were going to talk about, I was really kind of having a difficult time figuring out the direction that I wanted to go. Uh, but here I was sitting in St. Anne's and listening to Father Godfrey, and uh, his direction really gave me clarity on what, what I thought we needed to talk about this week. You know, during Lent, we've been taking the, that passage from Hebrews, which says, let us set aside the things that weigh us down uh, and cast off the sin that so easily entangles. 
and fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, press on towards uh, the, the goal. And so we've been, these last few weeks of Lent, really focusing on what it means to lay down uh, things that hinder us. And yet there's so much more to Lent than that. Uh, there's, there's the tendency in, in our Lenten practice to think of Lent as the, the denying ourselves and white-knuckling through giving up those things that we, uh, we really desire. And rather than Lent being saying, yes, fixing our eyes on Jesus, casting aside those things that distract us, that maybe they're bad, maybe they're not really all that bad, they're just distracting. So casting aside the things that distract us and looking to Christ, fixing our eyes on Christ, focusing on Christ, and saying yes to all that he has to offer. So right now, let's go back and listen to that interview from earlier this week where we spoke with Father Godfrey Mullen. Father Godfrey Mullen, thank you for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure to be back in Tulsa. Great. So glad to have you here. Uh, now, we've been talking, you talked earlier today at the parish mission, or I guess last night, uh, you talked about the three steps to getting the most out of Mass. And, and it wasn't a list of bullet points or, or things that we should do uh, better genuflecting or, you know... <laughs> facing the right direction when you genuflect, genuflect to the tabernacle. Uh, you know, it was it was about uh, getting our hearts in a place where we weren't just Catholics on Sunday morning. It wasn't just Catholic for the sake of Mass, but rather it was allowing the Mass to equip us to be Catholics. Mm -hmm. uh, can you give us kind of a shortened version? Because obviously we don't have three hours that you took up for the parish mission. Give us kind of a condensed version of, of those things that help us appropriate the most out of mass okay I, I think if you ask uh, 15 priests how to get the most out of mass you would get 15 answers and so Pay these, attention to me yes these <laughs> exactly these are my these are my suggestions and and i think um having written a dissertation on participation in the liturgy i think the the danger is that we're expecting those bullet points if i do this this and this then i'll certainly be better prepared to celebrate mass and I think when we look at at, at the um, the fathers of the liturgical movement in Europe and the United States in the 1930s and 40s, I think part of what we see is what they would have called intelligent participation. Now, that didn't mean that only smart people could celebrate Mass, mm -hmm. but what it did mean was that people do better when they understand, insofar as we're able, what's happening when we gather. And that kind of so-called intelligent participation is really what the whole mission at St. Anne's is all about. There are three basic um, stances or postures that I think we bring to the Mass that allow us to attend more to what we're doing there. One of those, um, the first night of the mission, I spoke about respect for life and that respect for life and love of life really predispose us to receive those good gifts that God has in store for us. And that, that the Mass itself rehearses with us over and over again that life of virtue that realizes the goodness of God's creation. The more committed we can be to the beauty of life, the love for life, living a full life that God has that God has called us to live, uh, the more likely we are to find in Mass not only um, simple little helps 
to to live that life but but the meaning of what that respect for life is all about and that of course finds its its greatest expression in the passion and death and resurrection of our savior and so starting with this fundamental respect for life this fundamental appreciation for god's life among us and our life in god our life with one another, I think the more we see that as a a foundation, the more likely we are to be attentive to what the Word is saying to us, the more likely we are to be attentive to what the prayers teach us. Um, And and that sort of uh, attention gives us then the opportunity to embody and embrace more of the virtue that Mass has in store for us. The second point uh, that I that I made is is the fact that humility makes all the difference in the world uh, when we approach mass, and I think for many of us, um, we can easily fall into spiritual pride without even knowing that we're doing it. Uh, one of the one of the areas that I that I have to be attentive to after teaching. Uh, in in the seminary for for twelve years, people these these men had to had to be prepared to to offer mass in a prayerful and and reverent way. Uh, there are times when, if I'm not careful, the words aren't exactly what appear in the book. And I think I think the lesson for me there is this: there is a certain amount of pride that becomes careless. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not helpful to me, and it's not helpful to the people of God in terms of our unity uh, with one another and with the church throughout the world. And so a genuine humility allows me to realize that God's good gifts are given to me, not because I deserve them, but because God is all good and is willing to lavish this gift upon me week after week and day after day, that somehow, again, his word proclaimed and the sacrament poured out for us um, should make us so grateful in humility uh, that that we receive with with, um, a genuine spirit of awe that that somehow uh, God's goodness to us should should help us realize that that we're... um, there, there's no way for us to deserve what we've been given. I, I will uh, remind you that that I'm I'm relying heavily in that in that talk, especially on the seventh chapter of the Rule of Benedict, which are the twelve steps of humility, the first twelve step program, if you will, uh, from the fifth <laughs> century, sixth sixth century. But the the seventh chapter of the Rule of Benedict reminds us that we should always have a fear of God. We should be delighting and doing God's will, that we're all subject to obedience. I think that's a hard one for us in this country in particular. I can have all the right desire in my heart and still consciously choose, for instance, to disobey a norm set by the bishops, or I can disobey um, some, some rubric in the missile. And, and I think a genuine heart of humility allows me to say, even though I don't like this or I wouldn't choose this, there is, there is humility and beauty in my being willing to be obedient. Yeah, and just, just last week on the show, we talked about uh, the spirit of docility and what that yes. means for us. Even if someone is, even if we, we think that we are in the right, there's still the obligation for us, uh, just like King David uh, submitting to King Saul and saying, I won't touch the head of the Lord's anointed. Uh, just, 
just like throughout Scripture, mm-hmm. uh, that obedience, as as God said to King Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think you know everyone rightly expects that of priests that mm-hmm. that we're obedient to the rubrics, we're obedient to the will of the bishop. But but I think there can be created a double standard where, but my obedience is tempered because I am a lay person. Mm-hmm. Well, how so? And and that's that's a part of of humility that I think is difficult. The rest of the steps of humility, very briefly, we have to accept difficulties. We have to expose our personal evils uh, to a trusted person in the in the life of the monk, of course, to the abbot. Um, we have to be content with with lowliness in others, and we have to know our own lowliness. Those are two steps of humility. I think very challenging for us. Some of us are very good at rehearsing our own lowliness, but we don't recognize it in others and expect way too much from them. And and then others of us have the flip side of that going in our lives. That we live under a common rule, that silence helps us know the will of God. Oh man, talk about one that's difficult for us in America. We're inundated by, uh, if we don't have the radio on, but by the way, you should leave the radio on. Uh, <laughs> then we have we have the TV on, or we have our our handheld devices, which give us noise constantly. Yes. One of the most uncomfortable things that I've experienced on retreat, and yet the most beneficial, uh, is to sit in silence before the Blessed Sacrament. Absolutely. And and to quiet. You know, it takes a it takes about thirty minutes to an hour for me to quiet the voices in my head that are trying mm-hmm. to make up for the noise that's been removed. Absolutely. When we are in the presence of Christ, we will know truth. Mm-hmm. But but if we avoid Him, um, it's hard to know truth in our lives. And and the true humble humble disciple desires that yes, but but also requires that. Mm-hmm. And so, so for us to, to find that silence in our lives is, is crucial. And the last three steps are to avoid frivolous laughter. And there, I think he's basically saying the, the truly holy life is not about being silly. It's, mm-hmm. about, it's about seeking God diligently, that we should be gentle in our speech. And I, I think that's a challenge for all of us, especially when we're speaking about something we, spe- we feel very strongly about. And then finally, to be humble of heart and in our bearing, so that it's not only humility within us, but it's humility that exudes from us. And I think if we approach the Mass with genuine humility, then the receiving of those gifts is crucial. I want to go back to the question of frivolous laughter, Mm -hmm. because it seems that uh, our concept of, of comedy and of humor is really quite coarse in, mm-hmm. in the United States and really probably elsewhere as well. And so there's a difference between being glad and being filled with joy and and even being brought to laughter and laughing at coarse things simply because it creates that response in us. Yes. In, in other words, is is that laughter designed to distract people from what is holy and good or is that laughter genuinely arising from the joy of knowing God's presence in our lives? Well, Father, we're up against a hard break, so we're going to take just a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Father Godfrey Mullen talk about how to get the most out of Mass today on Outside the Walls with Timothy Putman.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. Today we're playing an interview. Uh, Last week I had the opportunity to sit down with Father Godfrey Mullen, who is a monk with St. Meinrad Archabbey and also the rector of the cathedral in Evansville, Indiana. Uh, He's been talking to us about how to get the most out of Mass and has taken us through three steps uh, to achieve that. So without further ado, let's go back to that interview. Father, why don't you recap those first two steps again, just bullet point. I know that you love bullet points or don't. Uh, So recap those two steps and then take us into the third step of getting the most out of mass. Okay. I think uh, my two first, my first two points are really about um, respecting life and living life to the full. That's the first point that if we, if we're devoted to the holiness of life, uh, that God intends, then certainly we're we're much better predisposed to receive what God offers us in the liturgy. Secondly, that we have to approach the liturgy humbly, and um, priest, uh, layperson, whoever it is, we're receiving phenomenal gifts from Almighty God, and and for us to do that with any kind of uh, self-centered or uh, over-deserving pride uh, stands in the way of what we're what we're really trying to do there. So the the more humble, genuinely humble we can be, uh, the more likely we are to celebrate the liturgy in a way that uh, that assists us more completely. It's not it's not that God changes our gifts because we behave better. It's that we we're better disposed to receive those good gifts that God offers us every time we participate in the mass. Mm-hmm. The third section, um, the third point I would make is this, and and this is one that. In, in my 20 years as a priest, I, I keep seeing missing in people's lives. Not, not that they don't do this, but, but that I'm not sure it's conscious. And, and that is a spirit of mission. Uh-huh. And that is somehow that, that we're called, yes, to Sunday Mass. We're called there to hear the Word of God proclaimed. We're called there to receive His precious body and blood. And yet at the end... There, there isn't simply a conclusion of self-satisfaction, but but there's a commissioning by the deacon. Go forth, go forth, go in peace. And, and he's sending us out to those people that he himself is particularly called to serve, and that is those who are absent from our Sunday assembly, those who are absent from Mass. And so our goal then is to go forth with the gifts that God has given us with this spirit of mission to be full conscious and active disciples in the world with what we have received and seen and experienced at Sunday Mass, that we live a mission of proclamation. And this is one that I think um, for many Catholics is a hard concept for us to get, that by the way that we choose to live, by our deeds and our words, we proclaim the good news of the gospel. Not perhaps as effectively as opening the Bible and reading it to people, mm-hmm. but many of us don't have the courage to do that on a daily basis. Which I always find is quite interesting because none of us have any problem being a people of proclamation when it comes to a great movie we just saw. Absolutely. Or a wonderful dinner we just ate. Mm-hmm. And yet we have the greatest gift of all, gift of all in, in the Eucharist and in Christ's manifest presence with us, and yet we are skittish and shy because Catholicism has really kind of been relegated to uh, 
this hidden status. Uh, and I think it goes all the way back to the foundations of America mm-hmm. of, oh, well, we don't want y'all here. We, we founded this country to, to escape from you. Irish need not apply. Mm-hmm. And, and we spent so much time saying, oh, but we're, we're very similar. We're just like you. And until we began to believe it and we began to be really skittish about sharing what it is that makes us truly Catholic. Absolutely. The question of can you be a loyal American and a loyal Roman Catholic has been around, I, I, I agree, from the beginning of the foundations of this country. And and the, the mistake that I think we make is believing that somehow it will be easy to reconcile them. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's certainly not the case. And Yet there is still great joy in trying to reconcile them and doing our best in reconciling them. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yes, this this mission of discipleship, this mission of proclamation, uh, they they help us know the direction that we need to go. And and it is puzzling to me why the name of Jesus and the deeds of Jesus and the words of Jesus um, almost seem to be underground. And uh, we could talk about them at church, after Mass, with the people we trust the most. But don't bring it up at work, and certainly don't bring it up at school. And and uh, I, I think, again, it doesn't have to be in your face, but it, but it can be so beautifully stated. The gospel can be so beautifully spoken in our actions, in our words. I'm not recommending that we never use the name of Jesus, but but even without it, we can we can proclaim that word. You know, I look at at Saint Paul on, in in Athens, and he goes up uh, to the Areopagus, which was this area that overlooks the, the entire city. It's just below the Parthenon and overlooks the whole city. And there he saw all the different idols, and and he found a point of connection. Uh, a flimsy point though it was, he found mm-hmm. a point of connection uh, in this idol. And instead of seeing the idol and saying, don't you know that idols are bad? He said, mm-hmm. ah, I see that you're a very religious people. Mm-hmm. But what you what you worship in, in not knowing, I proclaim to you in knowledge. And then he lays out the gospel through a point of connection, not through a point of condemnation. Exactly. Uh, and I think that we've so compartmentalized our society Mm -hmm. and compartmentalized our ideological opponents and people, oh, well, those sinners over there and oh, these people who disagree with me over there, that we we no longer can find those points of connection to be able to proclaim the gospel. And so Catholicism and mass have become an end to themselves Mm -hmm. rather than the framework by which we live our entire lives. Exactly. And, And I think the mistake becomes, the mass becomes an internal haven. I come to this place of wonderful peace, and then I have to go live the rest of the week. When, when in fact, from the beginning, mm-hmm. from Jesus' very words, the point is, go out and proclaim to the nations right. what you have seen and heard, what you have tasted and touched, right here. Now go, go and do that. And I think, that's I think a we've, difficulty. I think we've forgotten a little bit our heritage, because yes. Catholics... Uh, were the original evangelicals. You know, there were 12 of them and they went out. Exactly. And and all of human history has been impacted because they went out and proclaimed. One of my favorite topics is that when Jesus bends over at the Last Supper and washes the feet of the apostles, he's holding in his hands their feet, which is his greatest hope hmm. for the spread of the gospel. 
and and they had not proven themselves to be spectacular in getting his message. And yet there he held in his hands his greatest hope. And, And as it turns out, they may not have been perfect and they may not have had the answer to every question. They may not have always known the way, but they proclaimed the gospel in a way that the church begins to take off Mm-hmm. In, in ways that we we probably could never have dreamed of if we were them. Well, I've got a, a question that's slightly off topic. We don't have a lot of time left together, but I wanted to talk to you about getting the most out of mass as a distracted person. That mm-hmm. would be me. I've got five kids in the pew with me, and you know, uh, we went to Stations of the Cross, and right there in the in the front, it says there is a uh, an indulgence for those who piously pray. The, the stations of the cross. And I tell you, I, I think I prayed about six or seven stations pretty piously and the rest of them, I'm like, Shh, no, be quiet. Hey, no, sit up straight. And so how does a parent who wants to fully participate with full consciousness in the mass, but yet is constrained by our mission of raising godly children, yes. how do we get the most out of mass? I, I think this is a difficulty for us. Paradise will be our ability to pray without interruption. Mm -hmm. Um, Paradise is our singing with the angels and the saints eternally in praise of God, whose whose face is our only vision, and that is sufficient for us. So Mass with children is purgatory then? I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) But in in certain respects, the good works that we do that that bring relief to troubled souls, yes, I, I would say that's true. But I would say that that in the same way that you as a father are particularly proud of your children in these these particular moments mm-hmm. in a life that is becoming holy, so I presume our Father in heaven looks upon us. And if he expected perfection in every moment, this whole desire to make the covenant with with human beings would have been over in the garden of paradise at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we have to realize is this. We are called to pursue what is holy and good. And and it's a lifelong task that that spurs us on each day. And so I would say instead of saying to yourself um I have kids and so this isn't going to work. Um, I would say, do your best, do your best, and allow God's work and word to become familiar to you and to your children. And even though not perfect, um, it will be it will be a source of grace for all of you. Well, you know, I'm also reminded that we use the word perfect in our parlance in a very different way because we think of flawless when really the biblical perfection is one of maturity and completion right and so we think of oh well i've got to be perfect that means that i've got i can't make a mistake well rather what perfection means is that we've got to be full and complete and mature Mm -hmm. and that's really an easier thing to manage absolutely uh, than flawlessness because it's the project of our lives right Mm -hmm. you're listening to outside the walls with timothy putnam Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. We just have a little bit of time left together. 
And so I wanted to go back. Uh, we didn't get really a chance to, to unpack it all, uh, the readings that we had in that first segment. And as Father Godfrey talked and, and talked about humility and talked about silence being one of the keys to humility, uh, it brought even back some readings that we've done in previous weeks that I, I just wanted to draw back into our recollection. Uh, silence doesn't do very well on the radio. <laughs> one, one second of silence on the radio feels like an eternity. Uh, and yet, for ourselves, for our lives, silence is necessary. Uh, we don't often allow ourselves silence. We fill up every moment with the sound of uh, radio or of television, or we fill up our eyes with uh, whatever screen we have in front of us at that time. Uh, we are constantly trying to process information. And all of that distracts us from really focusing in on Christ. Everything else uh, that may be good, it's not a bad thing, uh, and yet our preoccupation with those things distracts us from the best thing. That's really the purpose of the Lenten fast is to uh, cleanse our appetites. I don't know if you've ever been one of those uh, fancy meals where they have multiple courses, and in between they bring you something to do what they call cleanse your palate, right, so that you can taste the next thing. Uh, I only know that because of Downton Abbey, right? You've watched that, I'm sure, uh, and I'm, I don't know. I'm just talking now. Uh, but we need this Lenten season and the other fasts of the church to cleanse our palate. We need again to be able to taste the good things of God and not be so uh, biased by our own appetites, by our own proclivities, that we miss out on the good things that God is trying to give to us. Of course, from today's reading from St. Ambrose, we read that God is not accustomed to refusing a good gift to those who ask for one. And I think of that gospel that we read today, where you had the servant of the king who came to Jesus when he found out that he was back in Galilee. And he said, please come down to where I live before my child dies. And Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Uh, but that royal official begged Christ saying, sir, come down before my child dies. Now here is the key and the turning point of this story. Jesus said to him, you may go your son will live. Well, now here is this person who is trekked all the way uh, to, to find Christ and to ask him to come and do something, to follow him to his home, to lay hands on the child and do something to bring healing. It's the same story as the story of Naaman that we had last week, where Naaman came to the prophet and asked him, wanted him to do something to provide his healing. And the thing that was given to both this royal official and to Naaman was so small and so insignificant that it would have been easy for them to miss. And indeed, Naaman did uh, reject that simple thing at the beginning. It wasn't until his own servants begged him and encouraged him that he went and did as he was told and received that healing that had been promised. We see in this royal official uh, who came to Christ such incredible faith. Because he found Christ, he begged Christ to come to, to heal his son, and when Christ said, you may go, your son will live, he trusted. 
and he believed, and he left. And what would have happened if he would have continued to pester Christ after Christ had promised that healing, you may go, your son will live? Well, we don't know. We don't know what would have happened, but we do know what happened when he believed in faith and went home. Now, we know that his son was healed, but how often do we seek and beg for God to bring some breakthrough into our lives, for God to provide for our needs, for God to bring healing to those we love, for God to bring those we love back to the church. How often do we go and seek Christ and find him and beg and beg and beg, and we're given that simple thing to do, right? Go and wash, or you may go now, your son will live, and we reject it because it's not what we expect. What we expect is for some miraculous, huge, massive sign from God to which Christ replies, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So the task for us is to realize that we have been given the greatest sign and the greatest wonder through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and through his daily presence, manifestly so, on our altars in the Eucharist. What greater sign is there? And yet, as Father Godfrey mentioned at the parish mission, he said, you know, we we have this Catholic face about us that we hear these huge and miraculous stories of God becoming man, of God dying, of the resurrection of Christ after three days. And we sit there and we nod our heads and we uh, take it in with somber faces. And yet these stories are so miraculous that they should be for us that sign by which we believe all things. Now, Christ is asking for us to do a very simple thing. Christ is asking for us as we seek him and as we beg for healing for our loved ones. He's asking us to come away in silence, to sit and listen to his voice, to abide with him. And I'm reminded of that, uh, that reading that we had a few weeks ago. How then shall we repay the Lord for all his goodness to us? He is so good that he asks no recompense except our love. That is the only payment he desires to confess my personal feelings. When I reflect on all these blessings, I am overcome by a kind of dread and numbness at the very possibility of ceasing to love God and of bringing shame upon Christ because of my lack of recollection and my preoccupation with trivialities. As St. Basil the Great reminds us there, the most important thing we can do is to love the Lord our God with all our being and to wait for him in silence. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but I want to thank my new listeners from Kentucky for joining us on Real Life Radio. Thanks to all my current listeners in Oklahoma on St. Michael Catholic Radio. You have been listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Let's continue this discussion over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls or on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.